Is it on? Oh, this is on. I would like everyone to know the microphone is now on. Hey, it's good to see you. And um, I wanted to let you know that uh, the uh, we've talked a couple in the past couple of weeks about the YouVersion Bible app. So if you have that on your phone, you can open it up and go down uh, and find the events tab. And you'll find our service here this morning, some of our notes, some of the things that are going on there uh, in the UVerse app. Our key scripture this morning uh, comes from the book of Job. In fact, it is the book of Job. Uh, you may be familiar with the story. If you're not, it's, it's one of the most um, uh, striking stories that I think we have in the Bible. Uh, in the book of Job, the angels are cruising through heaven. I'm going to paraphrase quite a bit, by the way. Uh, the angels are cruising through heaven, and while they were there, Satan and God have a conversation. And, and Satan said that he had been roaming the earth, and God says, well, if you've been roaming the earth, have you met my servant Job? And uh, he's, he's, he's such a good guy. He's so faithful. There is no one like him on the earth. Now, Satan was not having this particular argument, and he said, you know, the only reason why Job is such a good dude is because you are protecting him all the time. Like, nothing bad has ever happened to him. So, of course, he's going to praise you. Of course, he is going to be faithful to you. I mean, why wouldn't he love you? But let me tell you something. If you let me have a crack at him, that guy is going to break like a fortune cookie. So God put all that Job had into Satan's hands and he allowed uh, Satan to have a go at Job. The one rule was that he could not do anything to Job physically and so Satan attacked and Job had the worst day imaginable. I mean seriously, it was the worst day imaginable. He lost all his animals, all of his servants, all of his children. He lost everything he had. And it all happened, he found out about all this in the span of like 30 minutes, it seems. It's just one messenger after another comes and says, everything is lost. I escape with my life. I'm the only one who lived. But Job wouldn't turn his back against God. So the angels are going through heaven again at another time, and, and God says, hey, have you seen my servant Job? And Satan says, look, man, I, I took his stuff, granted, but you didn't let me touch him. And let me tell you something, skin for skin, let me get in there, let me hurt him, and I promise you that things will change. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and he afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. And it actually felt better for Job to take a piece of sharp pottery and scrape himself. That's how miserable the guy was. But still, he would not speak out against God. And so his wife and his friends, they come and they start telling him about how he was wrong. And they just go after him and after him through a good portion of the book. Job's friends tried to convince him that all these things had happened for a reason. I mean, clearly Job had sinned and all of this was punishment. It was a cause and effect thing here. 
If you were good, this wouldn't happen to you. So what did you do wrong? Find what you did wrong. Repent to God. And Job said, I didn't do anything wrong. I honor God. I love God. And just fought back and forth with him about this. And eventually Job sunk into a depression, as is, I think, to be expected. He wished that he had never been born. And his friends just coming at him. They kept telling him, prove yourself to God. Prove yourself to God. Be faithful. Your children were wicked. That's why they died. All these things happened for these particular reasons. But Job would still not give in. He held out for so long, even though he was in the middle of deep despair. And he was being attacked psychologically for chapters. <laughs> we don't know long how long the conversation goes in time. But it is chapters of them coming after him again. But he refused to give in. He refused to turn the actions of God into some sort of petty vendetta. And But finally, through all this, it goes too far. Everyone has a breaking point. And Job was at the end of his rope. And he questioned God. And God spoke into that space. Where this broken, beaten down man had nothing left. And do you know what he told Job? I am God. There is no one like me. When you go back and you read the sections of what God says to him, it seems like he's trying to rake Job over the coals, like he's trying to put him in his place. But instead, I think God is doing something really important. Job, your life has gone off the rails. But even though everything is falling apart, guess what? I am still God. And I am bigger than anything. Everything. Job responded in the only way he could. You are God and I am not. Be God in my life. And then something truly remarkable happens. Job got a second life. God uh, restored him. He, he actually had more than he had before he suffered, and he lived out his days with the God that he honored. And there are a few questions I want you to think about this morning. The first one is this. What was God's intent in this story? What was God's intent? The second one is this. What was Satan's intent? Now, we may want to ask what the purpose of all of this was, but instead of that, I want you to think of one last question. What happened to Job in his life because he went through these events? All right, it's time to dismiss our kids to Children's Church, but I think they are all already gone. <laughs> so, they are dismissed. Yeah. 
Oh, yes. So if you would, um, Steve, can you turn me down just a touch? If you would like to know where to find the notes online this week, this is the URL that you can go to. Uh, when you get home, it'll be up all through the week. So if there's something you missed or you can't remember what a scripture was, um, you can go there. It'll be up all week, um, the main points and uh, the scriptures from today. It has been uh, a really interesting eight weeks, maybe. Maybe we could jump that out a little bit farther, maybe 12. Um, and I, I got a text this week from my good friend, Michelle Torres. Do you, do you know Michelle Torres? <laughs> you should, if you don't. If you don't, you, sh- you should know Michelle. And I got a text from Michelle, and uh, she was checking in on me to see how I was doing. And she had talked to a few other people on Sunday morning who were going through some different things. And this is what she messaged me. Boy, we sure are under attack. I don't know what else to do but pray. And uh, Michelle is right. We are in a very interesting season as a church. We are under under attack. And in the interest of being totally transparent with you, I have never um, experienced or even heard about a church going through what we are currently going through. And I'll give you a little clarity about that. I mean, I'm not saying that we are unique in the whole history of Christianity, um, but there is something rotten in the state of Denmark. (laughs) So let me give you some clarity here. I, I have been in churches before. I've worked for, you know, four or five, and I've been in churches that have come under spiritual attack. Um, But the spiritual attack always took one of two particular forms. Um, the, The thing that happened was when Satan attacked those churches, his main goal was to create division within the body. And, uh, So what would happen would be there would be some sort of personal issue that would come up between members that they couldn't resolve. um, Or there would be some sort of doctrinal issue that would come up and that issue or disagreement would become larger and larger and larger um, until the church would fragment in some way or another. A family would leave, multiple families would leave, Whatever was going on, and let me just give you like a short example, small example of how this could work. In a church that I formerly worked with, we formed a bunch of teams to do ministries um, throughout the church, and one of the teams was an evangelism team. And so we got three or four people together that were had a passion for evangelism, and we got them together and said, we want you to create a dynamic evangelism ministry here at church. Um, there was just one problem they could not agree on what evangelism was. No, seriously. So they went around and around about it, and one person thought uh, you should do nice, good things for people, but don't mention Jesus in case it turns them off. And on the other side of that spectrum, we had someone who talked about Jesus to everyone, constantly. And this was interesting. He did it so much that it made other Christians in our church uncomfortable. But they couldn't come to any sort of agreement. And so they worked on, on this thing where they started serving um, 
uh, dinner to some homeless people on, on Sundays, uh, but they couldn't agree how they were supposed to do that, and some people wanted to talk to them about specific things, and other people just wanted to serve the food. So this thing lasted, this evangelism ministry, the one thing that we were doing in our church that was a pointed effort, lasted about six to nine months, and then it stopped, and the team never met again. That, to me, is a typical example of how Satan comes at us and doesn't allow us to get over these like small procedural point things or whatever it is. There's personal conflict. I don't like this person. I don't like that person. Um, I was not pointing anyone in particular, anybody. Um, but the church never did get an effective evangelism, evangelism ministry during that time because they could never get it off the ground. And I'm not judging them because I was there. And I didn't do anything to make it better. But there's something I want you to know. Um, creating division is one of the easiest ways for Satan to stop a church from being the kind of church that God wants it to be. Division turns a church from a place that is about God into a place that is about people and preferences. It's, and it, it can be so easy. It can be so easy for that to happen. Now here's what's interesting about us at this point in time. We are not being attacked that way. Um, at least not that I'm aware of. Um, the weirdest thing about the spiritual attack that we are going on under, going through right now is that it is primarily a physical attack. Think about this for a moment. Think about the illnesses that have popped up in the last three months. Think about the situations that people have gone through. Think about uh, the physical injuries, the people that have gotten hurt, the people that have been in the hospital. Um, it has kind of saturated our community over the last three months. And I actually counted on my fingers, because sometimes that helps me, the number of different events that I could remember from the past three months. Um, and I got to a number that was between 20 and 25% of our church. 20 to 25% of our church has been going through or is going through some sort of physical attack. And some of them have been smaller. Some of them have been life-changing. Literally. Life-changing events. I don't know how you feel about that. <laughs> I mean... I... I, so, people, I'm preaching this morning. <laughs> if you have something you want to say, write it down somewhere. <laughs> then you can say it later. All right. I have the microphone. I'm wearing my big boy pants today. Now, I have, a theory, uh, I have a theory as to um, why we are under physical attack, and specifically, uh, this church has been through several seasons over the last decade. Um, this church has shrunk from being, you know, a pretty large church for a Church of Christ in the Bay Area to being a smaller church, and people left here, as you know, for 
all sorts of different reasons. I know this is weird to talk about, but just bear with me here. And I'm actually really happy to say that most of those people that were here the first time I was here and are not here now have gone on to churches where they are growing and thriving, and that's a good thing. I'm glad for that. Um, But the group that was left here um, was a truly unique group because you had gone through all of these different things and people left for various reasons. And, 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 and when you were left, the, the people that were here, you just wanted to be here. And Nisha and I, when we were moving here three years ago now, we noticed that. And it was one of the things that made us want to come back here was who you are as a church. Uh, This group of people loves one another. You love God. You want to grow in your relationship with him. You want others to grow. You support and care for each other in significant ways. And I say all that just to say, I I don't think Satan can easily divide this church by trying to make you fight with one another. Because we work through those things, and we have, even over the past three years. We have worked through things, and when someone doesn't understand something or needs more, guess what they do? They do this amazing, mature thing, which is that they come and they ask. And we talk through things together. So if Satan can't easily get at us through division by some sort of issue or personal matter, then what does he do next? Because here's the thing that I'm learning very quickly. Satan is going to attack us, and if something doesn't work the way he wants it to, he will come up with something new. That will get us to the place that he wants us to be. So if he can't divide us over an issue, what does he do? Well, he's attacked us physically. What did Satan say to God about Job? Sure, they're faithful. Sure, they're faithful. Why don't you let me hurt them? And God says, okay, just don't kill them. Just don't kill Job. Satan knows that by attacking us physically, it will make us tired. It will discourage us. It will create fear. And it will cause us to stop moving forward. Satan wants to stop us from moving forward. Whatever it is, church, that we have discovered as we're going through this vision and values and we're reestablishing ourselves and pointing ourselves in the direction as we are praying and waiting and listening and then to do, it has gotten under Satan's skin. And he is coming after us. 20%. So what do we do? (laughs) Like, what should our perspective be? How do we handle this kind of situation? Well, I want you to know right off the bat, there are some things we can do, but... The main thing that needs to happen, I think, is that we need to shift our perspective on some pretty important things. 
if we are going to continue to fight this fight and move forward into what God is calling us to. So let's pray together. God, this morning as we come before you, we are hurting, we are tired, we are worried, we are concerned for people around us, we are concerned for ourselves. This morning, Father, may we hear very clearly where you are in the midst of all of this. May our eyes be open to see, our ears open to hear what you have for us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start at the very, very basics. I'm going to tell you a lot of stuff that you already know, but you're smart. So, you know, just just humor me here. Um, there are a lot of bad things that happen in life all the time. True? True. There are a lot of bad things that happen in life all the time. And when bad things happen in our lives as Christians, as children of God, we want to know a couple of things right off the bat. Um, number one, why did God allow this to happen? And we only really get to that question if we're accepting that God is not doing this himself. Okay? Uh, number two, what is the purpose of this suffering? Why and what is the purpose? And we are always in such a hurry to get these answers and for good reason. You see... As Christians who are in the middle of some sort of suffering, we want to understand the why. We want to be able to make sense about everything. And so what do we do? We, we pray to God, we talk to him, we invite him into these situations, and then sometimes things don't get better. Or they don't change. And we go back to these questions. Why are you allowing this to happen? And what is the purpose of all this? And we don't always hear something back from God in the timeline that we want to hear. But what does this tell us about our perspective? It tells us a very simple thing, and we know this. We have expectations, both for what God should do when we face hardships and trouble, and for what it means to be one of his children. What God should do, and what it means for us to be one of his children. So, our first expectation is that God should keep bad things from happening to us. God should keep bad things from happening to us. Now, we may not admit this and say this out loud, but it is completely true. In fact, what would we call this biblically? God is our protector. And we pray for protection all the time, don't we? We have an expectation that God, as his children, is, that he is going to protect us from things happening. And our second expectation is that God should fix things when they are wrong. We call this deliverance. That God will take whatever it is and in our frame of mind, as we are going through something, what do we want Him to do with it? We want Him to take it away so that we do not have to deal with it anymore. And if God would just fix this, 
then everything would be fine. And at the very least, we want some sort of godly reason behind what is going on. God needs to be allowing or doing this for a reason if he is not going to fix it. When these things either do not happen or are not evident, we are left to struggle with what seems like the absence of God in the middle of our suffering. Why aren't you doing something? Let me tell you what that something should be. All right. We're going to fly through some stuff here. Um, But there are some changes that need to be made in how we see this relationship with God, what we expect of Him, and even what protection, deliverance, and victory mean. When these things happen and we don't know what to do and we don't have any answers, is God missing the point or are we? No, seriously. So, here's the perspective and here's how we need to change it. Number one, when we are under attack, it is not God who attacks us. It is Satan. Okay? When we are under attack, it is not God who attacks us. It is Satan. Now listen, I know that you know this in your head. But you need to know this in your heart. So I'm going to say it to you again. God is not the one who is coming after you. Oh, he's pursuing you. Don't get me wrong. But he is not the one who is trying to attack you. Now, yes, I know that God disciplines his children as he talks about in Hebrews 13. And I also know that he knows our limits. We know maybe this passage has come to your head. And I've actually, I've heard someone refer to this in the midst of of the suffering that's going on. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, we have shortened this verse to a cliche. And what is the cliche? God won't give me more than I can handle. That's not what this verse says. The verse does not say that God won't give you more than you can handle. Because the problem with that is when we say it that way, it applies to everything. It applies to everything. And so the attacks, the struggles, all of it, it applies to all of that. But listen to what Paul says. No what? Temptation. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And, but listen to this last line still, because it's, it's important. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out, but it's still not freedom. So that you can what? Endure it. So think about what Paul is saying here. He's saying that there are a lot of things that are going to come your way. Those things are not brought by God. 
They are temptations that are coming from somewhere else. And God knows what your limits are. And so he's not going to allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. And whatever that temptation is, honestly, whether it's to sin or whether it's just to walk away from God altogether, whatever that temptation is, God is going to help you with that. But it doesn't look like how we want it to, because God doesn't promise in this passage, or Paul doesn't say that God takes it away. Instead, he gives you enough to endure it, to hold on, to hold on. So, let's, we, we need to get this absolutely straight, this dynamic here. From James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. God may discipline you, but he does not tempt you. God will do things that will make you stronger, put you in situations that will stretch you, even put you in places where you have to make decisions for him. But he will not do something to try to push you away from him. That's not how God works. And if something is not going to strengthen you, if it's going to pull you away from him, that's not coming from God. That's coming from somewhere else. First Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 9 tell us, or just verse 8, I should say, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to what? My friend told us, he gave this great uh, story about this and he had been watching um you know the nature channel or something and and he said what the lion does is that it makes and this is not all the time but it will at times make eye contact with the prey and make sure that the prey sees it and then the lion will start walking back and forth and the prey will do what it will keep its eyes on the lion it wants to know where the lion is. But what, do, what it doesn't realize is that as the lion is moving back and forth, he is also moving closer. And they're watching, and they're watching, and they're watching, and they're watching, and as he goes back and forth, he gets closer and closer until he can do what? Pounce. And devour. And take out its prey. The devil is a roaring lion looking for whom he can devour. So understand this very clearly. It is Satan who is looking to do damage. God does, I, I should say, Satan does want to give you more than you can take. He does want you to be overwhelmed and hopeless. He wants to devour you. Who was the one that wanted to break Job? It was not God. 
It was Satan. Now, but if Satan is looking to attack us, what about this idea of protection? And God protecting us from these things even happening. Because again, sometimes, maybe the small voice inside of you may say, what point is it, what's the point of being a child of God if God's not going to protect me from these things? If God isn't going to stop them from happening? Well, God is sovereign over all things. He is still God. But you need to understand something else. Satan has a lot of power in this world to do what he wants to do and to come at you how he wants to come at you. From 1 John chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. Verse 19, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of who? Now, this, this seems a little off, because didn't we just say that God is God over everything? Yes, we did say that. But there's something we need to kind of separate and clarify here. This place, this world, the kingdoms that are built here, this is Satan's dominion. This is his place. We take for granted the power of God. He is all-powerful, yes. But Satan has influence in this place because this place is where he has the most power, the most influence, the most ability to do what it is that he wants to do. He cannot go up into heaven and be the boss. But he can be here and put his will into action all around us. The world, the kingdoms that are built here are not from God. They are from the evil one and therefore, by their very nature, because they are from the evil one, they stand in opposition to God. God's children and the kingdom that Jesus spoke so often about. Now I asked you a question earlier. When Satan went after Job, what was his objective? He had one objective. Wanted one thing to happen. What? He wanted, he wanted to hurt him badly enough that Job would ask the questions we ask and decide that God was not worth sticking with. He wanted Job to renounce God. That was the one goal that Satan had. And I want you to know something. He did not care how he got there. But he wanted to get there. To the place where the faithful person would turn away from God. Satan's objective is not to make your life miserable. That's not necessarily what he wants. What he wants is to pull you away from God. So Satan will do whatever he can to frustrate you, to discourage you, to make you angry at God, to tempt you, to give you things of this world so that you will decide, I don't want God anymore and you will walk away from him. When Satan went after Job, this is what he wanted. He didn't want to kill Job. 
He just wanted Job to walk away from God. And, and when taking everything didn't work, he found the next thing, which was let me hurt him. And when the hurting him didn't work, he sent in all of his friends for this psychological battle about who God is and what God does. This is how Satan works. But, okay, but what about, like, what about all the victory and protection passages still? Like, what are we supposed to do with those? What about Romans 8? which goes on and on about how much victory we have. What, what about resisting the evil one and he will flee from you? Doesn't that mean that God should conquer things here and give us victorious lives? Well, I have a question for you. What does a victorious life mean? What does it mean? When all of the passages, listen to this, when all of the passages about victory in the New Testament, were written, life for the children of God was awful. It was awful. There was no prosperity gospel being preached at that time. Because life was hard. It was really hard. And the expectation that bad things wouldn't happen to you because you're a child of God did not exist. It didn't. So, if the expectation that, that God would keep all these things from happening didn't exist, then, then what does Paul mean when he talks about victory and overcoming and winning? <laughs> In some ways, the expectation was the exact opposite of your life here being totally smooth. Um, Paul was reflecting on his own experience and what was to come for Timothy, a young man that he was mentoring. And listen to what he said. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact... Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. What Paul is saying to Timothy is a pretty simple truth that we might need to wrestle with a little bit. And that is this. If you are living a godly life and living out kingdom values in this place, you will find yourself in opposition to what? The world, which is under control of Satan. You will find yourself in opposition to him. And Satan is going to come after you. You will draw the attention of those who stand against God. Therefore, persecution and attack are a sign, according to Paul, that you are actually living your life for God. And it is not proof that God isn't there because it's not, he's not taking it away. Do you see that? Do you see that change? If you're living for God, things are going to be hard. But that difficulty doesn't mean he's not there. It means you're doing something right because you are putting yourself in opposition to the world and to the evil one.
when these things were written, the, the Christian communities were being persecuted by the Jews. They were being persecuted by the Roman Empire. Towards the end of Paul's reign, there was this crazy man who became the emperor of Rome and tortured and took joy in killing Christians. Their life was hard. Around that time, James was beheaded. I mean, people are dying for their faith. So I want you to know something. The life of the early Christian was not characterized by victory on earth. The world was a tough place for them. Take a look at the life of Jesus for a second. If you're struggling with this concept, take a look at the life of Jesus. As a baby, he had to run for his life. Or, I guess, ride with Mary on a camel for his life. Because babies are very slow. Um, Number two, he was very poor and came from a humble family that were just workers. Number three, he was homeless throughout his ministry. He did not have a home, a bed, a pillow to lay his head on. He didn't even know where he was going to get his next meal. He recognized that people hated him without good reason. These people hate me. And I'm here to help them. Then he was tortured and killed in the worst way humanity could have come up with. My point, this is the life that the Son of God lived in this place. And what was it full of? It was full of love and it was full of joy and it was full of good things. But guess what? Jesus stood in opposition to the world. And what did the world want to do? Kill him. Because he stood in opposition to the world. Okay, so maybe you hear me saying that life here is supposed to be hard, that we will be attacked, and that the attack is even a sign that we are doing things right. If you've heard that, it's because I've said all those things. So, we've asked this a few times, what then is the victory that God offers? What is Paul talking about in all these cases? Because make no mistake, God gives us great victory. We are victorious. Where you sit right now, in Jesus Christ, you are victorious. Victorious. John chapter 16, verse 33. He's been talking about all these difficult things that are going to happen, how life is going to break down, but listen to what he says. Jesus says to his disciples, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. What is the victory that we have? The victory is that this place which is going to try to hurt us, discourage us, Pull us away from God. Jesus has overcome this place. And therefore, no matter what it wants to do, it cannot stand in the face of Jesus. Through Jesus Christ, you have a life that extends beyond this world. You have eternal life with God. And there is nothing that can take that away from you. There is nothing the world can do to you. 
that will take away the eternal life that God has for you, that place that he's going to take you to. And, and when Paul, at the end of Romans 8, says that we are more than conquerors, he explains exactly what he means from Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We are more than conquerors. But Paul doesn't say that all of these terrible things, that we are conquering these terrible things. These things are happening. They're going on. And Paul never says, that is what God gives you victory over. Instead, what he says is, all of these terrible things cannot take the love of God from you. It can't. It can't. It will try as hard as it can. But ultimately, it is already lost because Jesus has overcome. So the encouragement that we get from the New Testament, from the writings, is not that if you lean on God, God will fix all your problems. It's not that if you trust in God, nothing bad will ever happen to you. And you know what, church? We've been a part of getting that message out there. We have. And what is one of the major things when someone is suffering, when a Christian is suffering, what do non-Christians always want to ask them? Well, where's God? You believe in God. Why isn't he fixing this for you? Because I think a lot of times if, if the person is really mean, <laughs> they're doing that to poke you, right? To get under your skin. But that's not the kind of encouragement that we get. It's not that everything's going to be fixed. Instead, the encouragement that we get is that we need to hang on. Just hang on. Because all this is going to be over and then you are going to go to the place where there is no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering. You're going to go to the place where you live with God. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us, comforts us in all our troubles. So we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, we share in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. 
We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who does what? Raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that, we, that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Listen to the dynamic that is described here. It spells everything out for us. They're doing the work of God and what happens to them? They are threatened. They are threatened to the point where they think they are going to die because of this. And God looks down and what does he recognize? They are at the point where they are about to be pushed past what they can endure. And so what does God do? He delivers them from that moment so that they don't die and they can go on and talk about the kingdom. But when did God step in? When? Only when it was necessary. And he did not deliver them to an easier life either. But they were delivered from death. And so, what are we to do? It's a call for us to endure, to hold on, to not give up, to run the race until it is completed, and to know that when we finish, God is there waiting for us. God is there waiting for us. Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 20 is our last passage today. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. How do we last, church? How do we endure? We clothe ourselves with God. We, instead of saying, and getting mad, God, why didn't you fix this or change this? Instead of doing that, we sink ourselves deeper into who God is. 
Satan's job, his one goal is to get us to leave him. And so when he comes at us, our job, the way we protect ourselves is to go deeper and to put God on all around us. So we have a shield so that when Satan attacks, we have something to catch it. And what is that shield? It is the shield of faith. God is still here. And one that I really want us to focus on, which we don't talk a lot about, the belt of truth. It holds our pants up. But why is it so important? Well, so our pants don't fall down. Yes, but the reason is, is that when we get into the middle of this thing, what are we tempted to believe? That God doesn't love us? God doesn't care? And maybe he's not even real. Because he's not here and doing these things. We move away from him. But if we hold on to the truth that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, nothing, then we are ready so that we can stand firm when the time comes. Because what is the truth? The truth is you have victory now. That God has already won the battle. So stand firm. The attacks that are coming are not over. They're not over. And we could be afraid. We could be discouraged. I don't think we have it in us, though. Because what has our response been to the attacks, church? We have gotten together and we have prayed. We've gotten together and we've prayed. And as much as Satan is trying to pull us from what God wants, we have put more of God on. And we will endure. Because our God is faithful. And this world cannot stand against him. And we have a home with him. Where all the things of this place will disappear. We look forward to that day. But until we get there, we hold on. With both hands, all our toes, we hold on. Amen? Heavenly Father, you are good to us. You are good to us, God, because just like you told Job, you are God and you are bigger than anything and everything. God, we have enemies that want to draw us away from you. But you are asking us to hold on because you have a better life, a better home, a better place for us. So God, may we not let the things of this place draw us away from you. But as we feel the pull, as we feel the despair, as we feel the fear, God, may we sink ourselves deeper into you. May we call on you more and more. May we hear your voice. I mean, we know that you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayers for encouragement or anything else this morning, we want to invite you to come forward.
as we stand and sing the song together.